0: this morning continue our series on the heart and the holiness of God in the book of Hosea and what you have seen is a visual representation of Hosea verse 5 chapter 2 of tough love so this morning the sermon is entitled tough love what happens when the Lord's people sin reminded by the song we just sang I stand here in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love us. Sinners condemned unclean. If we're not careful as we wrestle with God's word, as church people, we have a tendency to focus on them more than us. As a remind me where we are today, we're here gathering as a group of people saying we worship the one true God. God. And so, as our youth say, right Ashton, it's about to get reals for us. He doesn't really say that, but it sounds like something he might. It's about to get real for church people, because today we're not focusing on them. We're going to pull back the layers of God's word and say, look at me. God, what happens when we are prone to wonder? Or what happens when I have committed my life to you and yet I now have wandered again into unfaithfulness? And God says, you will see my tough love. Something that we don't desire but something that is necessary in our life. Hosea was a man that was called to live a life that none of us want to live. To marry, he was told to marry a wife of promiscuity, meaning she was most likely unfaithful before he married her was definitely unfaithful during their marriage, and they had children of unfaithfulness. Remember their children's names. The first was Jezreel, which means a valley of shame or scattering. The second child, a beautiful daughter, that he named Lo-Rochamah, which means not mercy, but no mercy. And then this third bundle of joy comes, and he picks up that child in the nursery and says, you know what, dear? I think we're going to name this third boy, We're going to name him not my people, not mine. And you know, as he's looking at that child, he's wondering, God, is this child mine? And God is saying, I wonder the same about Israel. I wonder the same about my people. Are they mine? You see, in Hosea's life, we see a glimpse of the unpleasantness and pain from God's perspective of our relationship. We see a glimpse of, of God's relationship with Israel and his chosen people. And we we came to the understanding that often many of us look at Hosea as as a hallmark movie gone wrong, or maybe as a hallmark movie gone right, who knows. But we see this, oh, it's a love story, but when we pull back God's word and we realize that God is addressing us and our unfaithfulness, it no longer becomes, oh, bless Hosea's heart. It becomes, God, why would you love us? God, why would you love unfaithful people knowing that when you sent your son to die for us that we would continue to be unfaithful? And God says, but I will not let you remain in your sin. I will encourage you because of my holiness to rid yourself of sin. So I ask you this morning, what happens when God's people sin? And as we do the end of every service together, I believe when we open up God's word, because it is living and active, that God's word demands a response in our life. So I just ask you right now just to pause and say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do in me when we encounter your word, but Lord, I know you challenge me. So we're going to have a time of response at the end of the service, but I pray that you begin now building and saying, Spirit, move within me that I would not be indifferent to your glory and to your hearts. That, Lord, we see Your word, and we would desire to be changed. With that, let's read Hosea 2, verse 5. Hosea 2, verse 5. Hosea is in the Old Testament, about halfway through in the Old Testament, following Daniel, if you have trouble finding it. Verse 5, chapter 2 For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, and my drink. Therefore, behold, you can go ahead and circle that. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns. I will wall her in that she cannot find her pass. As you've already seen, I will cut up her credit cards. I will wall her in in a way that would make unfaithfulness difficult. For she did not know, verse 7, that she will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but she will not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. Circle, I will go and return. This is the goal and the purpose of tough love. Guys, purpose For loving you with discipline is not to make your life miserable. That will happen. His purpose is that we would return to him. She says, I will go and return. For then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that God says, I gave her the grain. I gave her the new wine and the oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which she prepared for Baal. Therefore... I will return and take away my grain in its time, and in my new wine in its season, I will take back my wool, my linen, given to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will cause her mirth, my joy to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, her appointed feast, And when she worships together on Sunday mornings, I will destroy her vines, her fig trees, for which she said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the Baals, to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry. She went after her lovers, but she forgot me, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you acknowledging that your word at times can be difficult to understand. And we ask for your grace and your mercy and Lord, helping us understand this morning. But, Lord, we also admit to you as your people that when we understand your word, it is more difficult sometimes to live it out than it is to understand it. And so we ask that you would not only help us see your word, that we would live it out, that when we look at our sin, we see it with a glimpse of how you view us, not how we view ourselves. That you would draw us near, that we would get to a point where we say, Lord, we want to return. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. The tough love at God. And let me just say, I understand this is a difficult sermon. Um, this is not a joyous occasion. Uh, and if you, this is your only Sunday here with us that you're going to leave on a sad note, come back next week. Right? This is the purpose of Hosea, to crush us in our sin and then say, but even in our unfaithfulness, God has not forgotten. So join us next week, same time, as we see God's tender love. But today we see God's tough love. We've often heard this expression, tough love. Some of you have said it, You know, all that person needs is a little tough love. That's all they need. One online definition defines tough love in this manner. A very common dictionary, by the way. This is an expression used when someone treats another person harshly or sternly with the intent of helping them in the long run. So tough love is an expression used when someone treats another person harshly or sternly with the intent of tough love. Now, can you hear the inherent bias there? It's stern, it's tough, and it has the intent to help, but who knows if it will? So we are predisposed as people of not desiring tough love. That's our natural desire, right? We often say, well, that person needs tough love. We don't often say, I need tough love, do we? When was the last time you said tough love? It probably was about that person, not us. And God says, "Why don't you look at your heart, pastor?" Right? Church, why don't you look Why don't you look at your life? Because you're Gomer. You're Israel. Not that we have replaced Israel, but Israel those who had true faith in the one true God. By faith it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. That we would wake up and see But here is the Lord's definition of tough love. Hebrews 12, verse 6, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord's tough love, his discipline for the one he loves, and he punishes every son he receives. The world's definition says it's harsh. And who knows if it helps? That's the intent, but who knows? And God says, but I will discipline those I love. So God says, I love you toughly because I love you. You see, we're confronted with this overwhelming question in Hosea, what happens when we sin? Because if we're honest, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, you don't become perfect at that point. I wish so, but we are prone to wonder. We are still fleshly. I've had a lot more years practicing sin than I have righteousness. I've actually had 34 years of practicing. Some of you have had three times that. Maybe not three times, but you know. And so God says, you will constantly fight this. Says, Lord, what I want to do, I do not do. And what I do not want to do, I do. Lord, help me. And God says, I've given you a resource. It is my word. So what happens when we sin we see in verse 2 which I did not read that when we sin the Lord says bring charges against your mother you see sin leads to God's judgment Now, some of you are saying well here we go again judgment well the struggle with our lives of judgment because we want God to love us without removing sin but if God is God he is perfectly just so God cannot ignore sin Why can he not ignore sin because he's God? God can't say, you know what? I'm just not going to be just. Because at that point, he would be an idol of our creation. He would not be God. And I'm thankful that he is not a God of my creation. I'm thankful that God is not a God made in the image of Josh. Because this world would be destroyed and messed up. How do I know that? Because my life is messed up at points. That we say, God, work in us. See, my sin always leads to charges. My sin always leads to corrective action. And the corrective action of the Lord is tough love. So you say, well, why is it tough love? Why have you called it tough love? It's tough because it hurts. That's the tough part. I remember this last year when we moved here to the Moody area, that one of the joys of home ownership now is that we had a lawn to keep up. And um, one of the joys of our lawn was I didn't have time or I just didn't spend time with fertilizing it before the summer came. Because I forgot that I live in the south and summer begins in February. Right? So with February come the weeds. And so I, was, I just missed i missed the boat. So I, I put the weed and feed on too late. And so we had all these weeds and there were some that the weed and feed just killed. Like they never came up. But there were some weeds that were very thick and rooted in. So I had to go by the weed killer that I went and I had to hand spray each group of weeds that were rooted down in the soil. And I noticed something very peculiar peculiar at that. One, it took a while for those weeds to die. Two, for those weeds that were rooted deep down, the grass around the weeds died also. So in the process of me pulling up the weeds, I had to harm the grass, but it was worth it because now we have a lawn that's beautiful. But we haven't won lawn of the of the year yet. We're working on it. But I was reminded that's the way that God's tough love works in our life. There are times that there are sin that's so rooted in us that God has to say, "I'm going to pull it up, but it's going to hurt. But it's going to be for my glory." And it's gonna be for my purpose. It's gonna be for my will. Because you see, as tough as the love, as painful as it is, it is also love. As tough as God's love is, it is love. It's love because Yahweh disciplines us in a way that intends to break our sin and our shame. He wants to break our sin and our shame that we would return to Him. It's love. Because the Most High does not let me continue to remain and act shamefully. I'm thankful that God doesn't let me behave shamefully with it by ignoring me. And I'm sure that you're thankful that God doesn't let your pastor continue to behave shamefully. And I'm thankful that, that you can look in the mirror and say, God, I'm thankful that you love me in a way that you discipline your sons that you love. And that you not let us continue to remain in our sin, that you root the weeds up in our life. You see, what father lets their child remain is something that will eventually destroy him. Why do we discipline our children at home and say, you do not touch or plug in anything to the electrical outlet when I'm watching you or when I'm not because one day I don't want you to really hurt yourself? Why do we discipline our children in a way that we say, don't put your hand on that, It's hot. And you don't need to know that it will burn you. I just want you to listen to your father right now. And it might be pain, but listen to me, because I don't want you to walk down a road to ruin and shame and difficulty. That is what God does in our life. So why does God need to discipline his children? I would also ask, why would God's people continue to live in unfaithfulness? You see, the answer we find in Hosea is this. We, like Israel, are constantly being tempted to depend on our abilities and not God's. We are constantly self-reflective and saying, Lord, look what I've done. We're constantly saying, Lord, look at my bread. And Lord, look at my water, verse 5, my wool and my linen and my oil and... My drink, you see, we are more prone to depend on self rather than the Savior. We are prone, as verse 5 says, that, Lord, I will go after something else. And you see, for the ancient Israelite here, for their neighbor who worshiped Baal, that could begin very small. Often in the ancient world, the people of that worshiped Baal would put a statue of Baal in the ground. you say, well, why would they do that? Because Baal was the god of fertility. You say, well, why would they put a statue in the ground when they wanted to have children? No, he was also the chief god, the god of crops, the storm god, the god that brings rain and fruit. And so God's people would take this statue, and they would look at their neighbor and say, hey, they had good crops. And they put a little statue in the ground, and, you know, what could it hurt? And so they would put that statue in the ground. And eventually that statue in the ground would become, well, you know what? Maybe I should pray to that statue. What's it gonna hurt? And eventually that turned into full fledged Baal worship. And we say, Well, what point did it become sinful? At the point they looked at their neighbor's crop and said, You know what? Maybe I should try. And we say, Well, Pastor, I, I've never buried a statue of Bell. Good for you, thank God. I haven't either. But we will look at our neighbors and say, you know what? Man, that car looks really good. And, you know, if I had that car, I would have joy in my life. And you know what? I deserve it. is mine. Or you know what? I'm really proud of my house. Or you know what? My kid hit his first shot in basketball. And look what he did. Look what I taught him. Or my child scored his first goal in soccer. Well, maybe next year for us, we'll work on it. But look what we've done. Or you know what, look at the stuff in my refrigerator. Or look at my clothes. Or look at my retirement. Or look at my credentials. And we begin to say, look at me, look at me. Or we say, man, look, I've, look how much I go to church. Look how much I give. But look at that pew, it has my name on it. And we forget that we have now entered into unfaithfulness. And what has started so small, so innocent, we've been lured away by the lust of our eyes, and sin has taken root in our life. And God says, church, you need to be loved in a way that's tough, that would discipline you. You see, these, these entrapments are not new. The things that we struggle with, we say they didn't have internet. They didn't have those things to look at. Come on. We have been sinning with our eyes, with our bodies, since the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they look at? They looked around and said, we got a problem here, guys. We're naked. That's that's what they said in in Genesis. And they were ashamed. And so we can't say, well, Lord, we've just now had this issue called lust. Lord, we just now had the struggle with money. What did Jesus say? It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then it's for a camel for the eye of a needle. These things aren't new. Look at at verse 5. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread, water, wool, linen, oil, and drink. You see, bread and water were the things that, that give us sustenance and provision. Because we're tempted to say, look what I've done. Most of us don't have to pray daily, Lord, give me today my daily bread, because we can go in the pantry and say, Lord, what am I going to eat today? Now, we might say, well, I don't really want anything in the pantry, but we don't say there's nothing there. You see, they struggle with this in Israel's day to say, Lord, I provided for myself. And then we see in the wool and the linen the oil and the drink that these are things that give joy, that they have turned things that God has given for joy to idols. I'm thankful we don't have those anymore, right? Things that give us joy. I love football. We love football. I'm sad right now because college football is not with us anymore. we, We go through mourning from February to August in our house. We mourn on Saturdays. But you know what? If things that give us joy become idols, it is worth that God remove that idol, then we remain in sin. Or whatever your joy is. Some of you love your kids and you find joy in that, but if you live your life for your kids, you're now unfaithful to the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of us love our spouses, others you should. But if I love my spouse in a way that I make her my idol and I find my fulfillment in her, I have now put her as an idol and I am suffering. My family is suffering because I am idolizing my joy and not finding joy and my satisfaction in Jesus Christ. May we seek the Lord. Remember, God convicts and disciplines and gives tough love to those that he loves. So I ask you, are you experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you been convicted because tough love shows that God cares about his people? So if you are broken because of your sin, I want you to remember that is not an emotion that comes from you. That is the Holy Spirit. And as difficult as that might be, spend some time in saying, God, thank you for revealing your voice. God, I don't like the voice, but God, I'm thankful for the voice. Because conviction shows that you love me. Tough love shows that you love me. Why is tough love needed? I love the song that we sang earlier. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, take my heart and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. That we need tough love because we are prone to wonder. I'm not talking about them outside these walls. I'm talking about us. We are prone to wonder. And I just ask that you would take a moment and say, Lord, may this be my prayer in Psalm 51 too. Lord, wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. That we would have this morning a time of cleansing that only Jesus Christ can bring in his tough love. From the oldest to the baby here that we say, Lord, we are prone to error. God, change us. God, rid us of our sin and bring us back into passive righteousness. God's love is tough. You say, well, pastor, how does God's love work then? I'm glad you asked. We see also in this text the tools of tough love. The tools of tough love. Verse 6 Therefore, behold, says the Lord. See, tough love is needed in our lives because Hosea gives us those tools. As surely as the Lord has acted in the sin of Israel, he continues to show his tough love to those who are unfaithful. And 188 times we see in Scripture, therefore. And every single time in that 188, it means two things it's either a warning or a promise. But each time it is, hey, listen up. Right, Israel, listen to me. This has happened, therefore. So it's either a promise or a warning, and God is calling us in today. He's saying, listen to me. What are the tools of tough love? Verse 6, therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. I will hedge her up, and I will hedge her way with thorns that, and wall her in that she cannot find her breath. You see, a primary tool God uses for us to prevent us from sinning is simply prevention. This is what the Lord does. He puts the walls around us. This is what he does for Israel. He says, I will hedge your way with thorns. This is for your good and for the good of the relationship you have with the Lord. God says, I will put a wall around you that if you try to sin, it's a speed bump to make things difficult. So I ask you this morning, has God put a wall around you? Or do you feel like you're hitting a wall? You know, often I believe spiritually that we run into that wall and we get frustrated. We say, Lord, there's a, nothing's happened in my life. There's a wall in the way. And the world will tell you, you know what, well, something's going on, something's wrong. You're not worshiping hard enough. Sing louder. Offer more. Do more stuff. Serve the Lord. And so sometimes we're convicted because we hit that wall and we try to do more. But what if instead of hitting our head against the wall, we step back and say, Lord, what if you put the wall there? Lord, what if the wall is a wall of righteousness to stop me from sinning? And what if the answer is, we're trying to do too much? What if we try to jump in and serve more, jump in and worship, and God says, hey, pastor, before you can do that, see that statue you buried? You need to dig that up first. You you buried the statue in your backyard, and then you came to Bethel to worship, but you need to stop because there's a wall up right now, and you you need to go get rid of the statue. Those weeds in your yard, dig those up. Because oftentimes I believe we try to hit the wall and we say, how did that wall get there? And the Lord says, Gomer, I've walled you in because I know you struggle here. So if you are hitting your head against a spiritual wall right now, one, I would say stop back, stop and step back. Maybe you shouldn't be hitting your head against it. Maybe you need to look up and say, God, have you put that wall there? And Lord, is that wall reminding me that I have sin in my life that is unconfessed? Because if there is unconfessed sin, Lord, there's going to be a wall between you and myself. Because, Lord, you cannot ignore my sin because you are God. So a primary tool of tough love is prevention. We say, well, okay, I, I get it. There's a wall. But you know what? Some of us will try to climb over the wall. Some of you grew up your climbers, you're escape artists. And so if that's you, then what happens? And another, another tool of tough love is this. Look at verse 5 and 6 again. I will hedge up your way with thorns. I will hedge up your way with thorns, and you know a secondary tool that God uses is pain and irritation in our lives, pain and irritation, to bring us to repentance. Because some of us, I I was hard. I'm going to admit it. My my dad was here last week. My grandmother, my grandmother would never say this because she's the sweetest lady on earth. My dad would probably admit this. I was a hard-headed child. I wasn't mean-spirited, I I wasn't, you know, too rebellious, but I was just stubborn. I was a child that needed pain as a reminder to come back into the path of righteousness. And Lord, in His sovereign glory, has given me a son that's identical. (laughs) And Sometimes I pray, Lord, how could you, and He says, I warned you, I told you. But sometimes, spiritually, we're the same way. Some of us don't understand that, hey, this is gonna be painful. One of my favorite things about my early childhood and summertime is seeing the blackberries. We lived in a neighborhood where they were the honeysuckles were on the left when I rode my bike. On the right side of the road, there was a field of blackberries. And I love to eat the honeysuckles and then go on the other side and stain my hands and my clothes with the blackberries. I love the blackberries. But these are wild blackberries. And I'm reminded that wild blackberries have wild thorns. So you had to navigate your way around the thorns. And what were the thorns there for? Because the thorns were protecting the fruit. Now, there are times in our life where there is fruit that's not healthy for us, though. There are things that we want to put in our mouth that are not healthy. And God puts thorns in that path and says, you know what? That sin is not good for you. So I'm going to make it painful when you stick your hand in that to reach and grab that thorn. I'm going to make it painful for you. And and we're naturally just predisposed to say, Lord, I'm in pain. And God says, I told you not to put your hand in that. But God says, but if you would come back to me, I will restore you. So is God bringing pain in your life right now because of sin? That's an answer that only you can bring about by the Holy Spirit working in you. Is there pain in your life? Are you going through emotional, spiritual, or physical pain because of your sin? Now hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that every pain you experience is because of your sin. Some of the pain that we have in this life is because we live in a sinful world. We live in a world where terrorists come and shoot up nightclubs. We live in a world where people are abused, that children are abused by adults and strangers and those that they love, not because they have sin, but because it's sin of others. But if we have pain in our life this morning because of your sin, let God remove that. Because the same God that brings pain in your life is the same God that can remove that thorn if you will confess your sin. Prevention and pain are tools of the Lord to bring us back to righteousness. And you might be saying, well, what if it's too late? I am in pain. Remember that God can use your pain for his purpose. It's not too late. It's too late for the pain. Pain is good if you give it to the Lord. Come back to him. Remember, as with Hosea, God uses pain to get our attention. With sin comes, therefore, listen up. Pain is the listen up. Listen to the Lord. A third tool we see of tough love is this. I will hedge up your way with thorns. I will wall her in that she cannot find her paths. Verse 7, she will chase after lovers and what? She will not find or overtake them. I think a third tool that God uses in our life is just frustration. Frustration. Sometimes we're just frustrated, and we don't know why we're frustrated. We work, and we come home, and we're tired. And there's never enough money in the bank account because we're seeking after our kingdom and not the Lord's. We're frustrated. We say, Lord, no matter how much I work, I just don't have enough. And God says, but if you would be faithful and give it to me, don't you know that I clothe the birds in their splendor? And the flowers of the field, not even Solomon, was adorned in that majesty. That, Josh, I would give you plenty if you would trust me. Are you frustrated this morning? Maybe that's from the Lord, and spiritually he's frustrating you. you have a dear friend in south Louisiana. Actually, before we left, he made me raccoon to eat. And I promise, if you, if you bring, his name's Tim, if you bring me raccoon, I'll try it. I tried it once, we'll just leave it at that a dear friend, and he was a mechanic, not a believer. And he was a shade tree mechanic. He was actually the mechanic that would ask you to pull your car up under the shade tree and, and work. And he just sat down and told me his story one day. He said, you know what, there was a day where I started working on this man's car and I couldn't do anything right. He said, I couldn't explain it. He said, I, I couldn't even change a starter. He said, I couldn't even change the brakes. So I've been doing mechanic work for 30 years. So I was frustrated because I just, I, I didn't know what was going on. And so God began to build that frustration in his life. And that next Sunday, some friends came by that were inviting him to church for years. And he always said, you know what? I don't have the clothes. I'm not prepared. He always had his mechanic clothes on. And one day they came to his house after they had just gotten back from a funeral. And they came to Tim's house and he was dressed up. And they said, brother, why don't you come to church with us? And his excuse, he didn't have anymore. He didn't. And he said, you know what, we'll go. And he went to that small country church during that week of frustration. And he said, pastor, he said, actually, I thought that they had tipped the the pastor off. He said, because everything that pastor said, I felt like it was directed at me. He said, "I, I couldn't stand it. He said, that night. Two deacons came over to his house, and before they left, after three hours, he and his wife, in their 40s, hit their knees and professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Why? Because God had used frustration in his life to say, you've been chasing after things, and I will not let you catch it. I believe God sometimes lets us know, I'm going to let you chase after the wind, that you would finally be sensitive to my spirit. Maybe you're here today, and you're just frustrated. So you know what, I've been coming, I've been worshiping, I just don't, I'm just frustrated. I've been working and nothing is working out. Hey, I've been loving my kids and my family and I'm just frustrated. They're not listening. Maybe is maybe God is saying that is your therefore. Maybe God has sent that frustration that you would come back. So I ask, are you in a season of tough love? Do you feel walled in? In spiritual pain or frustrated? Today, the Lord maybe is getting your attention. I would ask, spend some time to confess your sins. Trust the Lord in his righteousness and he will forgive you of that. Because this is the target of tough love, verse six. We've seen the tough love. We've seen the tools of tough love. Now we see the target of tough love. Hebrews Hebrews 12, 11 reminds us of this. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, It yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, the purpose of tough love is found right here in verse 7, where Gomer says, Then she will say, I will go and return. The purpose of tough love in your life is peace and righteousness. The purpose of tough love in my life is that God would bring me back in a way that I would say, Lord, you are righteous." And you are the prince of peace. And Lord, I need forgiveness that can only come from you. You see, there will be times in our life where God will expose our sin and shame to bring us into repentance. Look at verse 10 with me. The target of tough love. The first target is you and me. Verse 10, I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. Now, that scares me. Because it's as if God is saying, if you don't quit sinning, I'm going to uncover your sin for all to see. Think about that. God's saying, you know what, I'm going to put your sin on Facebook. And all of your friends are going to share it. Because you know that Facebook loves some juicy gossip. All your friends are going to like it. If God told us about our, that way about our sin, I guarantee you we would think differently. If I knew my sin was going to end up on Facebook or YouTube or passed around in a group chat, I would think twice. Would you not? So God says, I'm going to expose your shame that you might be covered in the blood of Christ. You see, God has to expose our shame before he can cover us with his blood. That's repentance to say, God, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. And God, I trust in you. I remember the day I was in a small country church in a back pew back there, and it was as if God uncovered me, and the pastor was looking into my heart, and I hated it. And it was as if in that moment God said, Josh, I've uncovered your shame, that I might clothe you in righteousness if you trust me. That's the purpose of the target of tough love. It is you. There's a second target of tough love, though. It's not just you. It is also Sin. God will target our sin. Verse 9. Therefore I will return and take away my grain in its time, my new wine in its season. I will take back my wool and my linen given over to cover her nakedness. Sound familiar? Look at verse 5. Gomer says, I will chase after lovers who gave me bread and water. I will chase after those who gave me Wool and linen and oil and drink. And God says, you don't understand. I gave you those. And God is saying, the things I've given you for pleasure and joy, you use for sin. And Josh, you don't understand my righteousness. But that if you remain in sin, I will take that away from you. It is better for me to take it away and you not sin than that you walk a path of unrighteousness. God will target your sin. And as I was praying about this, I was asking, Lord, how would I feel? And how would you feel if God truly took your sin away? The thing that you're struggling with this morning, we all have something. How would you feel if God removed that forever? I believe there would be an air of thankfulness in us. But I think if we're honest, we would be disappointed. Because often our sin gives us some instance of gratification. That we say, Lord, I I sin, it's it's tempting. It's a temptation because it's tempting. God, I run after this because I feel like it will meet some need in my life. we have to get to the point that we say, God, if it is painful, if it is sinful, remove it. Because it is not worth my soul. Lord, I would rather lose everything in my life and gain salvation than gain the whole world and lose my soul. So how do we respond to God's tough love? Well, first, people of the church, I think that we must be quick to repentance. The goal of God's tough love is that we would seek his face, that we would get sick and tired of being sick and tired and say, you know what? I have a father that I should return because I know that if I return to him, he will welcome me with open arms that I have a father that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and purify me from unrighteousness. But listen to what I'm saying here, though, because this hit me like a ton of bricks this week. I believe there are times in our life that the world doesn't know how to repent because they don't see God's people repenting. That we, we pick up Hosea and we say, Lord, change the world. God, show those heathens, them gomers, And God says, but if if you would go to the altar, Josh, if you would repent, maybe your neighbor would know how. Maybe we need to lead the charge. Because how will the world know where to find repentance if we are not leading the way? Because often I believe the world looks at churches and says, you know what, those people act as if they have it all together. And the secret is this, which is not a secret, they know it's a lie. And the secret is, we know it's a lie, that we would look at the world and say, we don't have it all together, but we will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, knowing that I'm not finished yet. But you know what? When I sin, I'm going to be quick to repentance. I'm going to be quick to the altar, the throne of mercy where I find forgiveness. So maybe this morning, the time of response is not for the ungodly, it's for God's people. And that we say, Lord, we get it. You are sending a season of tough love and we want it to end today. Father, refresh our spirits. So, If you're here and God is dealing with you, I pray that you would spend some time in reflection and say, Lord, I mean it. God, wash away my guilt because he will. God, cleanse me from my sin because he will. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I don't know the Lord. I want you to know this, if you put your faith in him, that if you declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in your heart that he died for you, he died for the sins that you've committed that he did not owe, that when your sin and shame is exposed, he now covers you with his blood and his sacrifice, that he makes us who are nasty, filthy as white as snow. If that's you this morning, I pray that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ where you sit, and that today you would come forward and make that public to say, I want to take a stand for my faith because Jesus paid it all in me. Church, do not miss a chance to respond because our Savior loves us. The pain should bring us back to repentance. The frustration should make us think of the Savior. And the tough love reminds us that we hurt his children that we are loved by him because he disciplines those that he loves. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray.